Get ready for the education podcast that brings you the most unique, no-nonsense takes on school leadership, teaching, coaching, and all things K-12 education. This is Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Informal Observations Skyrocket Education. I'm Michael Sombert, founder of Skyrocket. Here, as always, with the good doctor, Dr. Antonio Vance. Antonio, how you doing, man? I'm great, Michael. How are you? I am awesome on this rainy, rainy <laughs> Thursday. We have some friends. Uh, I'm thinking about our friends from Texas. Did you see that they shut down DFW Airport? because of ice and terrible weather. Did you see that? Yeah, it's funny. I, it's funny you mentioned that. I looked at um, the weather map today and saw snow and ice in Dallas and as far as like Austin. I was like, and I had to look again to be like, wait, how far south are we talking? I mean, pretty bad <laughs> weather, pretty far south. Yeah, they closed schools down there. We're supposed to be with some schools in Dallas, uh, north of Dallas, virtually, uh, Wednesday and tomorrow, and uh, they they had to cancel, reschedule. Um, so it seems like everybody's okay, but crazy times when you're getting snow and ice down in uh, down in the deep south. Um, so hoping folks there are doing well. We are excited to talk about a subject that is rife with controversy: teacher evaluations, and. Uh, I know some teachers who'd be super happy if evaluations just went bye-bye. But before we get to that, we're going to do three questions for the good doctor. Question number one, this is an interesting one here. The question, I'll ask the question, and then I'll tell you what the impetus for the question is. The question is, would you rather be the best in the world at one thing or really, really good at many things? And the reason why I asked this question is somebody, it might have been my sister. Well, somebody asked me a question the other day. There was a like a People magazine poll, and it was like, who's who's the who's better? Mariah Carey or Jennifer Lopez? And feels like conventional wisdom would be Jennifer Lopez because she acts and she dances. And she sings. I think she does. I don't know if she has like fashion line, but I think I heard that. Uh, And she just does a lot of things really well. And I've never seen a Mariah Carey movie, but from folks who have, they've told me she's not a great actress. (laughs) But man, she's got a voice, right? And if you ask anybody who knows anything about music, about Mariah Carey's voice, not going to be you. You hate music. You hate it. You want it eliminated. <laughs> you are the ta- you are the the human manifestation of the town from Footloose. No music, no dancing. But I started to think about it, and I'm like, Mariah Carey. I mean, she's one of the best singers of all time. And does that outweigh all the stuff that J Lo is just like good to really good at? Right, like mm-hmm. J Lo can't, J Lo can't. I mean, her voice is fine. She's not a great singer. Um, her songs are fine. I don't think they're great. Um, she's a good actress. I'm not sure she's great. Um, 
So I'll ask you, would you rather be the best in the world or one of the best in the world at something or really good at many things? And why don't you weigh in on the Mariah Carey, Jennifer Lopez debate as well? Who's, who do you think's better between those, uh, those two? Well, I would say like better at what? <laughs> like, yeah. I think Mariah Carey um, is like, can sing better. Um, and her voice is phenomenal from what I've heard. Yeah. People say. Uh, I think I would, I, think it. I would do be a, a J-Lo. I think I'd rather be a jack of all trades. Um, mm. And I, I'm okay with not being a master of something. I, I, I'd rather make my life a little bit more diverse instead of just one sort of getting pigeonholed. And then that way, if something happens, like, you know, what if, you know, Mariah catches a cold or something and her throat's gone, then it's like, oh, you're, you know, your career is over, right? You kind of like back yourself into this corner that you can't get out of. But, you know, J-Lo, you know, loses her voice. She can, you know, pretend to act. Um, <laughs> the other stuff that she does. Yeah, I think you're probably, I think, uh, I think I agree with you. I think, I think you're right. Um, that it's probably better to diversify and be good to really good at a whole lot of things, which, I mean, I don't know more I carry. She might be the best cook in the world. She might be like, an like she might be an amazing mom. I just, I just know what we know publicly from her. She might be like awesome at the backstroke. I don't know. Uh, but just what we like know publicly of her. Why did I, you made a face. Like, why did I pick that? It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, I do think it'd probably be better to be good at a lot of things. And I'd prefer that. And I wonder, as I'm asking this question, I wonder if it's because so few people, I know you're a big tennis guy. Did you see Rafael Nadal come back from two sets down yes. to, win the, uh, to win the Australian Open final? Yeah, of course. So he now has 21 grand slams, the most ever. And like, there's, there's just one guy who's, I mean, tennis is kind of unique because there's Federer, there's Djokovic. And there's Nadal, who are all like vying for best ever. But even just, I, I was reading about Andy Murray uh, recently, who's a tennis player for folks who don't know. And I think Murray is like, I think he's won three Grand Slams, but I think he's like three and nine in Grand Slam finals, which means he obviously loses way more than he wins. And he loses to those guys I just mentioned. Yep. Think about that. Think about being like one of the best in the world, but nobody considering you all time great or right. even in that or even close to that conversation. She's won three grand slams. It's not, I think that's amazing. Absolutely. By any other metric other than these other three dudes, that's that's great. I mean, what does John McEnroe have like seven or eight? I mean, like there are lots of great, great players who don't have a ton. Yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, but, you know, um, what's his name again? <laughs> Murray? Murray. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andy Murray is not like, uh, he's not considered all time great. He's just considered like regular. <laughs> I just forgot him. What uh, what's something you've learned since the last time we were together, Dr. Vance? Uh, something I've learned. You know what? Um, what's really interesting during uh, Skyrocket recently had um, our quarterly retreat um, with our team, and one of our uh, really astute uh, coaches um, took us through an activity 
from one of our favorite books. We always quote The Advantage, uh, Patrick Lencioni. And in the activities, she, we, we talked about um, the two requirements that organizations need to be successful. Um, and part of that is just like being really smart and healthy. And I think that, you know, even as a coach, and I, I mean, this is obviously applicable to, you know, schools and, and organizations all over. And I think that it's really important to keep at the forefront that balance. And I think that, you know, Lencioni makes the, uh, the really great point that, you know, being smart are things like having a strategy, having a great marketing plan, mm. having your finances all together, you know, uh, all the books are, are, are balanced, your spreadsheets are tight, um, technology is all aligned. Like that's being really smart. But that has to also be matched with being healthy. And I think that's the part that... And you have to have both. You have to have both, have to have right? Both. have to be married um, together. And the healthy domains were things like um, one of your favorites, no politics, or yes. at least minimal politics, um, no confusion, um, maintaining a high morale, uh, high productivity, low turnover. And those are the things that we all want to do, but I don't know if organizations put in the same amount of effort um, that they do in those areas, those healthy areas, as they do the smart areas. And maybe I want to speculate that the smarter things are just easier. <laughs> Um, I can sit with a spreadsheet all day. I can write a grant all day, but keeping morale high, um, that's a beast. Getting like not having politics, eliminating, you know, confusion and increasing clarity that takes weightlifting. Like what I talked about last time, that's lifting, bench pressing the 500 pounds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Doing that. So I, I was really inspired. Yeah, I love that too. That the, particularly the politics one, man. I, I it is a a a red, a bright red flag for me. Whenever we start working with anybody and they say things like, "Oh, you know, those are the those are the teachers. We we like we can't like we don't say much to them. They do their own thing." Or like, "Hey, you know, oh yeah, he he like don't don't talk to him on you know don't talk to the assistant soup on Monday mornings. Like, here's how you should approach." Here's how you should approach him uh, and things like that. Um, that oh, it's just always been like this. Or uh, the, one of my one of the things I've, I've heard a lot lately is around the the like the someone who re, who will retaliate. Somebody mm-hmm. said that to me, like, I'm afraid to give feedback to my boss. I'm afraid they're going to retaliate. And I'm like, you, you know, you sound like you're in a mob movie right now. Right. You sound like you're like that. Joe Pesci is like your boss is Joe Pesci from Goodfellas. Right, like retaliate, but that's all politics. It's all bullshit, man. It really is such a flag. It's real in these streets, man. I uh, I read about a study that they um, these researchers brought a bunch of college kids uh, into um, and they put them uh, individually uh, each into a room, and uh, in all of the rooms there was a bowl of cookies. Fresh, freshly baked um, chocolate chip cookies and a bowl of radishes. And they made the whole room smell like cookies as well. It smelled like cookies, smell like chocolate, smelled awesome. They told half the kids, everybody's individual, but they told half the college kids, uh, you can eat as many chocolate chip cookies as you want. Uh, they told the other half, 
you could eat as many radishes as you want. They told the radish group, you can't eat cookies. They told the cookie group, you can't eat radishes. And so uh, nobody left their group. As you can imagine, nobody from the cookie group ate the radishes, because why would they? But nobody from the radish group ate the cookie, ate the cookies, which wasn't actually what the study was trying to determine. Because after they did this, they gave all of, and they made the kids sit in the room for like an hour with the cookies and the radishes. And these are college kids, college kids. Yeah, like uh, freshmen, freshmen, I think. And after they, after the cookies and the radishes, they gave each of the students a math, an unsolvable math problem and told them that they were comparing uh, how easily the college kids could solve it versus high school kids. So they gave the college kids a real motivation because they're now like these big college, you know, these big college uh, goers and they want to, they want to, you know, outshine the, the high school kids. The, this is where the study gets surprising to me is I would have assumed. So the, the, the whole test is around how long will they persevere on an unsolvable problem? Absolutely. I would have assumed, which, by the way, this stuff is just so fascinating for me. I uh, I would have assumed that the kids who ate the radishes, who had the discipline to eat the radishes and not not touch the cookies, um, that they would have persisted longer. They are they've just exercised a bunch of discipline. Let me be even more disciplined here. But it was the opposite. The cookie group persisted on average for twice as long as the radish group. And what the authors of the study were, um, uh, what they determined was that uh, discipline is, and willpower, uh, those are actual exhaustible resources. Mm -hmm. They're not inexhaustible. And that, and I've always thought that like, hey, the more disciplined you are, the more disciplined you'll stay. But the study was saying the opposite, that you have a limit on how disciplined you can be. I think it's one of the reasons why we'll talk about our drinking in a moment, but I didn't drink all of January. And then February 1st, I'm like guzzling wine from the bottle because I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm done being disciplined, right? Um, uh, February 1st. What's, what's that? From the bottle? Well, not from the bottle, but. I did drink a whole bottle of wine myself. Uh, was it, it was so cheap. And the next day, my head hurt Good. until like 7 p.m. at night. Um, it was like, oh, this is why this is why I didn't drink all of Um, But what an interesting thing. And so uh, I've seen it like in my own life, right, where you get to a point where it's just like, you know what, I've just got to eat these eight cookies. I've just got to eat them. Right? I am so like I've been disciplined all day. Uh, well, it, I get it a lot when I'm writing. When I'm when I'm writing, I've written at this point quite a bit of fiction and, and now quite a bit of nonfiction. If I am sitting at a computer just writing all day, I'm interested in like when you did your dissertation for your degree. But I would write all day, uh, or when I write all day, and then it's like I got I've got to crack a beer, or I've got to eat cake, or I've got to eat ice cream because I've been so disciplined. I'm almost out of that resource. Does that make sense? No, it does. I I I think um, it's like discipline fatigue, right? Yeah. You do it so much and so much, and then you just 
eventually, you know, you can't, you know, hold that, that same bar all the time. And I think it's, I mean, I'm sure we can all think of examples. I think we get fatigued in a lot of things in our life. Um, if, if it's discipline, um, I was talking to a leader the other day about decision fatigue, mm. uh, how they are, you know, schools and leaders are constantly making decision after decision after decision to a point where they start to become fatigued um, with making decisions because yeah. there's many things that have to, to happen. So I think there are lots of, of, of fatigable, I think I just made that word up, or, you know, exhausted. <laughs> You know, place, places where folks just get exhausted from doing, even when you know it's the right thing to do, even when it makes sense to be like to continue, um, you just become, you know, fatigued. Yep. Um, Vance, we talked about it a little bit. We know that educators like to have a cocktail and these uh, to relax in these COVID uh, post quasi post COVID still middle of COVID times. We know that folks are doing a little bit more than one cocktail. Are you having a drink tonight, my friend? No, I'm not. Not tonight. Next next podcast I will. Not not tonight. I'm going to the gym that you think I fabricate and make up, but I'm headed to the gym right after we end this. Um, so don't want to be in I do know that during the, uh, you went to the gym during the uh, bomb cyclone, right? You went after, you like, traver you actually, you told me you have a gym in your building, but that you actually went to the gym with uh, three feet of snow on the ground, right? Of course. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. I know. I know. Um, Summer's coming, man. Come on. Summer will be here before you know it. Got to get that summer body going. Yeah, I, uh, I. I teased this earlier on February 1st. We had a, a, a work retreat. Uh, we did a, a happy hour afterward. I drank so much wine and had a headache all day yesterday. And so I am good on alcohol for the time being. But uh, I will at some point I will get I will get there on a uh, on a podcast. Um, Vance, let's talk about teacher evaluations. Uh, it's a controversial topic. And I'm I'm curious as to uh, why why are you laughing? Controversial is it is it controversial? You don't think it's controversial? Teacher evaluate. I mean, who? Why is there controversy? You should well, be because teachers. Uh, you hear from teachers, they don't think that they're fair. It's a snap. It's a snapshot of my classroom. There's yeah. a person who doesn't come into my room. They come into my room what five times a year, two times a year, once yeah. a year. They, they don't really know what I'm doing. They don't even know my students. Uh, how can they possibly uh, teach, you know, five periods a day, 180 days a year. They see me twice. And that determines what? If I'm proficient, advanced, developing, all those different things. Uh, you, you have not heard that level of controversy around teacher well, eval? Look, I think teachers want to be evaluated, they want the feedback, they want to get better. I think the, 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 the drama is just around, I think the controversy is around leadership and inconsistencies among administrators or and the way that policies are executed, the actual execution of, of teacher evaluations. I don't know if folks are like, oh, no, no evaluations, um, as opposed to like ad, ad, administrators who, who are not doing a great job of doing it. 
Okay, so hold on, because I think there's a distinction there, because you're saying folks want to get better. They want coaching. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that that's true, but let's say it is. I, I, I do think that there are lots of folks who do want feedback and coaching, but who don't want their principal to come into their room or assistant principal, whomever, for 45 minutes twice a year and say that you are a three or that you are proficient or that you are unsatisfactory based on those 45 minutes or an hour. I don't think people, I don't think most teachers want that. No, I, I, I agree. Not coming into my room twice a year and then like plop, here's your evaluation. I think that that structure is inefficient um, and unfair. I agree with that. I think that's, I, and I think any administrator that goes into a classroom and only uses two tiny pieces of data um, to, to evaluate a teacher is insufficient. So I would agree with that. I think a teacher would prefer someone who is present in their room, understands, knows what's happening on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. um, has rapport, um, and it does not, does not have this sort of like superficial um, surface level understanding of their praxis. Yeah, I think that that's the problem here is that the thing you're describing is how this most often occurs in oh, schools. Yeah. We have a we have a partner out in Wisconsin and um, they uh, they just they started a brand new school, brand new charter school from scratch. It's amazing, amazing school, amazing people out there. Um, and they. Uh, they interviewed uh, tons of people and got a really solid, solid team in there. But they told some stories about like asking people like, Hey, like, have you got like, how many times you like, it was something like stand up. If you've been evaluated in your previous role, like, or have been observed more than five times and like a third of the room stood up and it was like, well, you know, they kept like, going down like more than like three times or something like that. And it's just like, just across the, across the, just, this is just one school. And this is one example of, of dozens that I could share of teachers who uh, are mostly left alone and nobody comes into their room and, or they see that their boss comes in twice a year or once a year. In some cases, I have some friends who teach uh, in the, in the suburbs, they see their boss, their boss comes in their room once a year. It's, a compliance thing. Um, and I agree that those folks, if it's not normalized, if it just feels like I'm parachuting in, I don't really know what's happening here. I don't have the full picture uh, around what kind of instructor you are. But hey, I'm supposed to do these things twice a year for the district or for the for the for my boss, that it feels really unfair to folks and that there's a huge disinvestment there. Yeah, and I think to the point, I think that if evaluations were done in a in a mode and, you know, the, 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 the crazy part is that this is not isolated just to um, education and teachers. I think in general, um, when folks folks struggle to provide um, growth and and, you know, feedback to help employees get better and teacher evaluations are no are not very different. I'm, and there, there are certainly organizations out there that um, have, you know, gotten to the, to, to the great point where they're not doing this like parachuting and getting this surface level. And I think, 
I, I, my, my earlier comment, I think, is the idealistic way of evaluations, I don't think most people will have a problem with. The current way that many schools operate with evaluations, absolutely, it's detestable. And uh, yes, it, it, it doesn't work. But I think like when I've spoken to teachers, right, they're not averse to having someone in, helping them get better, give them feedback and evaluate their, their performance and, and give them clear goals around how they can get better. I don't think people are averse to that. I do think that the clunky way that it's done now, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really the, the that to me is the most salient point. We discussed on our last show, uh, professional development and all the things that go wrong with that. And I don't think we got to it on the last show, but I was at a conference once and a pretty like major uh, major voice in charter schools said uh, we should uh, skip PD and just uh, use the money to give teachers bonuses, right? When they're talking about bringing in external partners, right? So let's not pay this group 10 grand. Let's just give bonuses to teachers or let's, I think his actual plan, which is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard, is that they would ask teachers, hey, do you want PD on, uh, you know, on early childhood literacy, or do you want a $500 stipend, right? Well, you, and I said, look, uh, I don't know if it's a good plan overall, but I don't think asking people, hey, do you want to do extra work um, or do you want to get extra money and not have to do the work? I don't care what it is that like most people would be like, yeah, I'll actually take them. I'll take the money and not have to do the extra work. So I thought it was a really bad idea and not the solution that that problem needs. I think to the point that you're making is that I've heard lots of folks uh, posit uh, th this idea that teacher evaluation should just go away. And in the current model, that makes total sense because they're not effective and it's not valuable and it probably feels unfair. Um, in the way that this mostly looks in schools, but I don't believe that that's the solution to the problem. I don't think teachers need less evaluation or they need less, or they need fewer eyes in their classrooms. I think it's the opposite. They need more uh, evaluation and more eyes in the classroom and more feedback on what they could be doing better. And so to that point, you know, and I, I actually have a, I, I know somebody who their, their, their boss, their principal, uh, I know a teacher whose principal never, never got to the second evaluation one year. They were supposed to do two. And the principal basically said to the teachers, hey, here's your, here's your form. Can you write your own evaluations? I'm not going to get in there. And that's a really, that feels like a really crazy example, but I'm not sure that that's uh, all, all that unique. Even if the, even if the, if that, that seems extreme in terms of, hey, write your own evaluation, which is bonkers. I, I'm certain, I know of leaders, you do as well, who do it as a, uh, like compliance only, let me buzz in, buzz out. This is actually worse than like unfair feedback is they inflate everything because they feel like, 
Um, if I give you critical feedback, but I've only been in your classroom once this entire year, you're going to push back. You're going to tell me I don't really know what's happening in your room. I don't want to have that uncomfortable conversation. So I'm going to tell you you're doing great. I'm going to tell you you're doing great, even though you're not, because I am not present in your room the way I need to be. Yeah. I, Michael, it's it, and that's so the balance is like, do you just get rid of it? Totally. I mean, if you're if you're a leader and you're doing that, then yes. Like, not only are you doing a disservice to your your staff, but to your students as well. And you probably just shouldn't be a leader, honestly. If you're doing yeah. that, this podcast, my suggestion is that you find another career, because in the end, <laughs> you're not, I mean, you're it, it's such a disservice, right? I mean, it will be the same as a teacher telling kids. Hey, I didn't really grade any of your work. I don't, I don't, I'm not right. really sure if you can read or not. But, you know, yeah. just, just you know, what do you think? I, I'll just write, you know, in, right? Like, folks don't get better when they don't have concrete goals and they don't have a concrete plan to do that. Um, and, I mean, if you ask most teachers, everyone's always like, oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I mean, I was a, a really great teacher. But I, in, I, I thrived on, I mean, except for like, if you want to talk about fair and not fair, you know, we'll get to that. There were certainly times where I was not given a fair evaluation. Fine. Mm-hmm. Overall, the system was robust. I, I received tons of feedback. I was evaluated often. And so it felt even when things were, you know, not always perfect, I was committed and I felt that the organization invested in me and wanted me to get better. If I'd only see, and but however, in comparison to when I was working at a at a different organization, I mean, it wasn't until late December until someone came in and to to evaluate me. I mean, I could have been like teaching Mickey Mouse songs all day, right? And no one would have known until December. Like yeah. that's. Yeah, I agree. I'm actually thinking about uh, a partner that. We, um, somebody who's on our team now, but we used to work for another organization and shared that of their 400 teachers across the entire network, uh, every single one, every single one was scored proficient or advanced as an instructor. And something like math proficiency was like 11% of kids could do math on grade level, 7% of kids could read on grade level. Um, you know, or or eleven percent proficient in math, or seven percent proficient in reading, and to me that that there's there's a disconnect there, and I'm not exaggerating those numbers. No, uh, it was, and so that is that I think speaks to that point of hey, I'm getting into your room in December. I haven't seen anything you've done this year so far. Um, I can give you critical feedback, uh, but I don't think that's going to go well because if somebody came into my room four months into the school year and was like, Hey, you're doing this, 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 and this wrong. I, I could push back really hard on that. If they were in my room every single day, um, even if just for 10 minutes a day, that would feel a lot different. And so it leads me to my, my, one of my questions for you here is how, how often should these formal evaluations happen? Or at the very least, how often should school leaders be in teachers' classrooms to make the evaluation process feel like uh, it's it's of value, right? I mean, I think it needs to be logical and 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 dosed appropriately. And I mean, I think that's part of. I mean, 
what you often see is that teachers that have good classroom management um, and little drama coming from their room, they get observed and, you know, far less. Um, yeah. And rooms are on fire or that are struggling uh, because they're either new or there's just some sort of disconnect between them and their students, but they're, they're struggling. And then you have this presence more, which also like just creates like a even bigger snowball. Um, and I, I think there needs to be an appropriate dosage, appropriate. I mean, all of this is relational and conversational. I think that there needs to be a standard. I think everybody should get X amount, regardless of your, your like how good you're doing or not. So when I was a school leader, um, every single teacher, regardless of your ability, how well things were going, every single person had a classroom observation and feedback every week at minimum. Mm. Mm. With then there was no exception. So if you were the best star teacher, you got an observation and a feedback and some evaluatory um, input once a week. And you would use that year long. So you're looking at uh, 40 weeks worth. Yeah. About. So 40 minimum every teacher in that building. And there's like state testing and stuff. So maybe let's say it's a little less. Let's say it's 35 minimum, 35 observations with uh, that have an evaluatory um, component. And then you would use all of those things at the end of the year to determine where the teacher um, stood or scored or what their what their um, what their uh, what's the term I'm looking for, what their category was. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Where their performance was. And I mean, of course, and then you don't wait to the end of the year. You have check ins throughout um, the school year that that are sort of um, like, you know, mile markers along the way. Like, hey, you know, if it's three times a year, lots of organizations do three or four times a year. You know, this sort of mid-year check in like, hey, checking in, you're on track. Mm -hmm. goals. I've seen these amazing things. Remember, X is the thing that you're working on. Even if you're a master teacher, I don't know a single teacher on this planet that doesn't have anything um, that they can get better at. And to your point earlier, I mean, when I started working for an organization, I took over as principal, this idea that I looked at, I looked over, you know, as most leaders would do, looked over evaluations and I'm seeing everyone is rated, you know, super, you know, super high. There were no, there were no teachers in in any type of sort of like deep water, but then I'm looking at single digit results. Yeah. And conversations are around putting blame on children. Oh, well, you know, the students came from this background. I mean, it would be like if you were, I mean, would a preeminent doctor have 30% of his patients dying? Right. right. Be like a pretty yeah. good and be considered a proficient doctor. Right. Right. So how is it that that, you know, in 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 this field, I can have single letter, single digit, you know, proficiencies where students are are struggling. And I go to classrooms and see folks struggling, but you're getting raises every month and you're getting, you know, platitudes and all these wonderful things when like there, there's just a disconnect there. And I'm and I, I realize that there's a lot of history and there's a lot of other stuff that's woven into that, but organizations have to pay attention to it. We just talked about smart and healthy. What I talked about earlier, like, yeah, is like 
the, the one of the major things that causes um, discontent in organizations. Yeah, and I, uh, the thing you're saying is the, uh, the, the evaluation as this uh, obligatory, meaningless. I think there's the, hey, I'm going to try and do this authentically, but there aren't nearly enough touch points here. Yeah. And I don't really know our school's like framework, whatever we use, right? We use Danielson, right? Like, oh, got it. You don't know. You don't know how to evaluate people on Danielson. I got it. Or, you know, different states have different things. They're 25 pages long. And, you know, leaders who don't have a keen instructional eye are trying to evaluate people using that. And they're barely in their rooms. But there's at least an authentic attempt there. I do think some of what, what I'm hearing from you, and I shared this a little while ago, is there's that also, hey, like, wink, wink. We have to do these things. Um I'm just going to say you're amazing when you're not. Uh, we're working with a school right now where there's a handful of teachers who came from the neighboring district and they're getting their asses kicked and their egos can't handle it because they were told that their old district, that they were the cream of the crop. And they always scored on all different kinds of evaluations, exceeding expectations or exemplary um, outstanding or whatever the scoring, uh, whatever the, the rubric said, but the top, the top, the top of each, uh, of each standard. And now it's, they're not that, uh, with, for people who have a really keen instructional eye, those folks are not that and I'm not putting them down for that. It's just the truth. And, um, they are really struggling with it because they've been told for years that you're great and they're not great. And that's, uh, that's a problem. Absolutely. I mean, I work with, I, there's a school that, um, I mean, actually, and this is common amongst um, a few schools that are, um, a few district schools that were worried about their evaluation uh, because of some, some union rules and the amount yeah. of times that they can go in the classroom and how long, and, and you know, if, the, if there's a certain ranking that's too low, I mean, a principal actually told me, I don't even want to rank this teacher low because of the amount of work that I would have to do to justify this ranking that is lower than what they had previously received. So wow. they're to say that they're at this level, even though they know that that teacher isn't because of all of the, the, the paths and roads that, that that leader would have to go through to even to, to even put that ranking in. And so wow. it, it's like, how much value do you, I, I mean, and this is part of the reason, right? Like folks are like, oh, this isn't even real. This isn't like, how much am I getting paid at the end of the year? I don't care what right. you write throughout the right. year. How much right. am I getting paid at the end of the year? Yeah, man. That's right. That's right. So how often, I remember when uh, I was with Mastery, they went from like three or four formal evaluations a year uh, and then I think when you got to a certain tier, you got two a year, mm -hmm. but that didn't feel right. And then they went to five smaller evaluations yeah. per report period and four report periods. So folks yeah. would get really 20 over the course of the year, 20 uh, like formal evaluations, which felt, um, which felt much different and felt uh, robust. 
um, what, what's the amount that folks should be striving for? I like yeah. the way you talk about it, that once a week. I mean, if you have a small enough staff or yeah. enough people on your team, you can pull that off. That's really cool. Yeah, and I, that's what that was going to be one of my caveats. I mean, I was an assistant principal um, at Mastery during that time. And like getting in those five, you know, evaluations was, I mean, it was a, it gave you a run for your money. Yeah. So even when I, when I was a principal at a different organization and we had, um, you know, gave evaluations, you know, or observations of feedback and a follow-up meeting once a week, that was a big ask on my leadership team and me because it takes time and it is something that, that has to be, and it can be like, here's another thing, like folks are listening and they're like, where am I going to put that at in my calendar? And I talk to leaders all day. I don't have enough time to get into classrooms. And for some reason, getting into classrooms is the thing that gets sacrificed. Yeah. Maybe that's a whole nother podcast. I won't go down that. (laughs) I won't go down that path too far. But I mean, look, it, it has to be prioritized. I mean, and I get it. Every single leader has told me I can't get in there because of the the C word that we're not saying. Right. And like, yes, you there there are COVID operations. I get it. I understand that. But the very next priority needs to be getting in the classrooms and developing folks. So if you have the team that, you know, can can go in once a week, and these are not long 30-minute for whole period meetings, 15 to 20 minutes, you can gather enough information um, to, to, to be able to build and understand. You can go in and usually you should go in with, with, with a focus. I'm looking yeah. for directions. I am looking for voice and, and presence or whatever it is that that teacher is working on. Um, and I think folks get lost. Leaders sometimes get lost and they conflate all of these things together and they make up this story in their mind. I don't have enough time. Yes, you do. Yes, you absolutely do. You and your leadership team have enough time. Make it happen. If you need help with it, you can call Skyrocket. We'll show you how to do it. <laughs> Make it happen. But I am like, I, and I know that there are people that I work with, but like, I am so, I am fatigued of listening to folks saying they don't have time to go into classrooms. Like, it is, yes, you do. And I, I push back every time. So I, I think it, it, it varies for your, your, I mean, if you have, I mean, I think, you know, set a number and stick to it. Um, it cannot be once. I mean, th- there needs to be multiple short anywhere between, you know, five and 10 um, before you give like a larger evaluation, I think is a fair number. But whatever number you decide, you have to stick to it. And you got to so that folks, you know, b- build that trust that folks know that you say what you say you're actually going to do. Um, so yeah. if it's five, if it's 10, we said once a week. And we made like we were on it. And if we missed something, if something happened, we apologized. We followed up. And we got in as soon as we could. But to the best, it was our it was our number one priority. It was a priority for the school, and we made it happen. That's that's uh, that's great coaching. Um, I, I one of the things I hear from teachers is this idea that I teach differently when someone's in my room. Um, <laughs> I, the evaluation can't ever be fair because uh, I am totally different when people are watching me. Do you buy that? I buy it when you come to my room once a 
<laughs> once a semester. Yes, I'm completely, utterly shocked. That scared the shit out of me. Yeah, right, yeah. and now I gotta like tap dance. And I mean, I'm certain at some point, you know, I did something different. But I also learned uh, you can't pull that with with kids because then they'll, kids will be like, "Yo, you acting different. Like, what you? <laughs> wait, what? We gotta pull out. We gotta do what? Um, <laughs> if you have a leader, and if you're if you are in classrooms often, right? If you are often there and if you're if you are present, that goes out the window. And I could tell, I mean, I've been a teacher and when the person, when they showed up once a month, once every other two months, you know, once a semester, I put on a show. I give the kids the look like y'all know what's up. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> y'all know y'all yeah. see that clipboard and we put on a nice little show. When I was a teacher and I was being observed often that completely changed one because i just couldn't keep up with the charade right right right, right. <laughs> don't have the energy to to keep tap dancing and so but then there was also a different rapport i i knew that that person was coming in with intention and that i was going to have a follow-up meeting and i was going to get feedback and then they would come back again and that there was a cycle and it all fed into something that made sense so in fact, I was more comfortable making mistakes. I would do new things. I'm like, hey, did you notice I did this? And mm-hmm. I would do that in my practice because I, I had the rapport and the trust to know that that leader was there for a reason and for intentionality. So yeah, teachers put on the show. If you show up once a semester, once a grading period, yeah, I'm, I'm going to show you a whole little representative. If you're in there often, you see the real deal. Yeah, that's it's so funny. I remember, I'm sure the teachers listening to this are going to uh, think I'm a, I'm a major kiss ass for this and I'm okay with that. But I would, I would flag my, my school leaders down and be like, Hey, come check this out. Got to see what we're doing in here. I'd see them walking past or, or if I had something crazy going on, eighth period, I'd go to their offices, you know, during lunch and be like, Hey, uh, can you come by? Period. I want you to see this thing that we're going to be doing. It's like peer editing thing or, whatever we were doing and um, because it was so normalized yeah. that people come into the room uh, and that this is about getting you better for kids. Absolutely. I actually feel for people who are, um, I, I feel for teachers who are stuck in a broken system who may not feel empowered in the way that you and I feel empowered to call bullshit when we see it but teachers who have to do a dance and who have to be part to your point about the charade, like, Oh, all right, here comes my boss for the one time a year. They come into my room, um, which by the way, they told me about, and I got to choose the period. And so now let me do a whole bunch of stuff that I think they want to see. I know this is not the case with every teacher. There are some who just teach the same way all the time. There are some who, and it's great teaching. There are some who, teach the same way all the time and it's not great but are like hey i'm not doing anything special because you're in here uh but there are folks who i know are doing different things and probably feel like this is such an exhausting and stupid and pointless process but i have to do it and i'm not really empowered to say hey this is nonsense let's cut it out and do something better i i i feel fortunate that i don't have anything like that in my life and I know that in the world of, of education, uh, that that is an anomaly. 
yeah, I mean, it's, it is, um, it is sad. It is really sad. And I hope that, you know, folks will, uh, leaders, I, I mean, and I, I put this on administrators. Um, this, this lies squarely on school leaders, um, CEOs and organizations. Yeah. Cause it goes above, it goes above principles in a lot of cases, yes. right? I mean, if I'm told that I need to do these two observations for these two evaluations for really for compliance. Yep. I mean, so many of the districts with whom we work, folks get a, a cost of living raise each year. Yeah. Um, they know they they know exactly what they're going to be making at the end of 2022, and they'll know exactly what they're going to be making at the end of 2042 mm-hmm. uh, because they're going to get this increase. So then, what's the point of the evaluation if it's not actually going to change my salary? I mean, we. Well, um, if it does. What if you have a, a performance-based performance-based um, system where your pay is directly linked to, yeah. to your salary? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I like that better, uh, but that's. I mean, I'm. Uh, for me, you know, I think it's. I think it's really exciting to not know what the uh what the end result is going to be and that hey my, my performance is uh if i if i exceed expectations i don't have to wait in this kind of uh, endless line it's kind of like you know <laughs> people waiting for the new iphone just like moving up one at a time like oh just finished another year now i get you know this small incremental raise and i'm not i know that there are a lot of teachers who are paid really well most aren't it's not really what I'm talking about here. I, I do think it, I do like the idea of performance-based pay much better than the opposite. I think that it's harder to pull off because to the points we've made tonight, um, you know, who's doing those evaluations? Yep. What frameworks are they using? What, yep. uh, is, it, is it actually valid? I, I, I think it would be much harder to pull off if you're observing somebody once or twice a year, that, hey, uh, you exceeded expectations, you're going to get a 10% raise this year. Person down the hallway is going to get 3%. Um, I think that's much harder to pull off. And I don't know of any, I don't know of any teachers unions who, 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 who go along with this. I'm not saying that there aren't any. I just don't know of any. Do you know of any? Um, organizations that have performance-based pays where there's a, a an established union. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. yeah. So that's probably a challenge with that model anyway, at least in, in, uh, in places where there are unions or where, you know, the district's been around for a while. Um, well, we see a lot of charters, newer charters as well, who do performance-based pay, but um, I think that that's, I think that that's better, but it's gotta be done. I mean, look, um, I mean, I could tell you a lot of, a lot of organizations that do evaluations as this obligatory thing. They don't even do anything with the data. Um, I'm just not sure that that's a good use of time. I'd say eliminate them or make it a real thing, but, but that's every, that's everything, right? I mean, or, we talk all the time about like, I mean, you say you do evaluations, do you actually do them? Do they matter? Does anybody care about the results? Do they affect the person's salary or standing? Um, 
or so somebody go on a performance improvement plan if they're unsatisfactory on two straight uh, evaluations, right? Um, what happens with the with the stuff? And in most cases, it's nothing that happens other than teachers get super stressed out, leaders get super stressed out, they check a bunch of boxes and then they move on. I'm just not sure that's a good use of everyone's time. Yeah, I mean, I think if it's, you're right, if it's not done right, don't do it all and find another job. Um, <laughs> I, I just like- you, I, you, know, you know we're in the middle of the, what they're calling the great resignation yeah, dance okay and you're telling people to quit their jobs. I'm okay with that. Like, I just, it's one of the things that I just, I just can't like get over, um, which is not working to make your folks better mm. and letting them know the things they're doing right and the things they need to get better at. Um, it just, it, it just baffles me constantly. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, on that note, Antonio, thank you. Someone's honking outside my window. How dare they? <laughs> um, on that note, we are going to call it a night. Thank you, folks, for tuning in. We'll uh, we gotta get we gotta get some drinks on our next show, man. <laughs> yeah, you're boring. Uh, what'd you say? Or you're getting boring. Boring. We're too stiff. We're too stiff. Yeah. Um. Well, on uh, for Antonio and the whole team of Skyrocket, thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time on Informal Observations. And until then, keep on rocking. This was Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. Sign up for our mailing list at wewillskyrocket.com and look out for our next episode.